Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. And thank you for hitting play, joining me, and for the reviews. If you listen and like the show, you can leave a review on your podcast app. More reviews prove that you're listening and will show up recommending shows like this and takes less than a minute. And my guest is an OG blurred and voracious but discriminating consumer of all things fantastique. He contributes media commentary to the Black Science Fiction Society's website and is a frequent panelist on Discussions from the Overhood, the official podcast of the other sci-fi magazine. Please help me welcome Cranston Bernie! Yeah, well, thank you, thank you, thank you for that wonderful introduction. And my first, uh, my only question is, okay, I'm going to get a better deal on this than the president got from Bob Woodward, right? Yes, yes, you. Okay, will. okay, good. All right, okay, all right, all right. We're cool then. Okay. We are talking about uh, Woodward and Trump and all that, right? Yeah, right. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, oh. By the way, I got I got a joke for you. Okay. How can you tell Donald Trump is lying? Okay. How can you tell Donald Trump is lying? His lips are moving. <laughs> Good way to tell, yeah. That's my last political commentary for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because the NSA is still active and we never know, you know, so, okay. Eh, well, have you not co- <laughs> At least, hey, at least, at least I'll at least I'll go out for for a good reason. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. All right. And you know what he said just before we scooped him up? You know, so yeah, okay. <laughs> right. It's like, where was the lie, dude? Where was the lie? <laughs> I love the fact that you described yourself on your Amazon page as OG blurred. Like I literally had to like, oh yeah, I definitely have to use that. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All righty, my good man. Are you ready to answer the six questions? I am ready. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? There was a kind of three-phase thing that happened over several years. The way most things I do is I'm, I'm great at creative procrastination. I will have a great something that I will do, but I don't necessarily won't do it right then. So the first thing was in uh, middle school, we had a literature book where um, at the end of each entry, they would put like a one paragraph biography of the contributor. And I can't remember who the contributor was, but I remembered the question it asked him was, when did he know he wanted to be a writer? And he said, when he realized that somebody had to come up with the story, so why not him? And I sat there thinking, well, if he could do it, why not me? And that's as far as that went. The next hiccup was about my senior year in high school when I had a really wonderful junior and senior year English teacher, Sarah Wright, who would, uh, when I was curious about writing everything, that she would always take time to listen to my dumb questions and offer advice and things like that. And she gave me one thing that I still adhere to to this day. And that was the quote that she shared with me from Robert Graves, who was the uh, British writer, probably best known for High Claudius, which was a big 
PBS like serial thing back in the I think late seventies, early eighties, and he had said there is no such thing as good writing, only good rewriting. Most people think if you're writing something, you start with chapter one and then you go all the way through till the end without any interruptions or any revisions or anything like that. And that's that's not how you do it. It's a uh, constant thing of reconsideration and, you know, that kind of thing. And the final thing that came into it was about, I guess, the early 1970s. There was this thing called the Famous Writers School. And they would put these ads out in newspapers and on TV late at night. Do you have what it takes to be a writer? So you sent them your information, and they would send you back their test. And then you would fill out the writer's test and everything and send it back to them. And then they would send you this thing that said, congratulations, you have what it takes to be a writer. And they could help develop you for the mere sum of $200 down and another $700 broken into 12 easy payments, which adjusted for inflation is a little over $5,000 in today's money. So since I did not have that kind of money, I never enrolled in the famous writer's school, but they made the mistake of telling me I could write, so I decided that I would uh, go from there. I found out years and years later that the famous writer's school was actually this giant scam they had going on and everything. But unfortunately, you know, but even scams, they can be right sometimes. After that, I started sending out uh, stories and collecting rejection letters and everything. Been that way since then. So that's how I got started. I like how you described it as collecting rejection letters. That is a yeah. great way of putting it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, it was so good. I had I had a poster made up that probably violated, made all kind of copyright violations, but it was a thing of Snoopy early in his writing career. And they sent him a, a letter that said, Dear Contributor, we thank you for your submission, but unfortunately it does not meet our new needs at this time. To save time, we have included, included two rejection letters in this in this letter, one for the submission you send us now, and one for the next one you're going to send us. So it was kind of like that. Wow. <laughs> wow. It takes this, that really takes the piss out of it, I guess. <laughs> well, it, it allows you to plan ahead. The uh, thing about rejection letters, though, is rejection letters can actually be informative if you don't take it personally. And you can learn something from a negative experience. But there is kind of like a little caveat with that. For example, if you have a negative experience packing your parachute, you will learn uh, never to do that again, but it probably won't help you with that life lesson. But on the plus side, you won't ever do that again, so it's all good in the end. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? The funny thing about that is that that would be a great thing for a story because it gives an idea. It assumes if you knew it then when you started out, you could change the outcome later. But to me, I would honestly say I wouldn't want to do that because I have found that part of what gets you to wherever you are now 
is not just the successes that you've had in life, but the uh, mistakes and the failures and the things that didn't quite work out the way you wanted to. So I really don't think it would change anything. A lot of the stuff that said that you should know about writing was stuff I picked up along the way, which was good. And you need that for the uh, learning curve that goes into it. And the stuff that you really wanted to know you would not have had any idea that this stuff existed back then. So it really, I don't think it would really do you any good. You'd be sitting there like, it would be like you're in 1979 waiting for that iPhone 11 to come out, you know. So, okay, 30 years from now, I'm going to get it, you know. So I don't think I would want to know anything. And I, I think I kind of stumbled along um, pretty well to where I am now. So it's kind of like, you know, life is your teacher as you move along the way, uh, provided you are paying attention. What is the biggest lesson or the best lesson that you've learned throughout your career? The two best lessons that I've learned in the career is, number one, don't take it personally and think about the source. So I remember I was telling one friend of mine something about um, I was working on something like that, and she said, you know, that sounds like something they did on something, something, some other place, and it really wasn't. But then you learn, don't ask this person's opinion. The uh, thing that you do learn is that every negative criticism is not an attack. Well, one of those rejection letters, and I hope I still have it written around, hidden somewhere in, in the uh, stacks of junk i got to go through to say, I didn't know, this is what happened to that, okay was this one company that sent out letters. If they send you a rejection letter, that means they did at least take the time to read what they sent you. And if you can get a rejection letter from, like, an editor or something like that, anything other than the first reader, that's the next best thing to being published because generally they would include either some encouragement or they would be honest enough to tell you, don't give up your day job, you know, this is going to work out. But it's one company that had uh, rejection letters to help out budding artists was they had, uh, and this was, of course, mimeographed on two sides of paper, single space, all of the things that beginning writers, mistakes they make, and they would just put little check boxes and they would check off what you did, like uh, double space, and you need to learn how to spell, that kind of thing. I only got one check mark, and it was on the second on the second page, and it said, story that I had submitted was dependent on a twist ending that was contingent upon information that had been unfairly withheld from the reader. And the example they gave, they said it was a, what they called a tomato surprise story where you discover at the end of the story that the narrator was actually a giant tomato. Surprise! So I read that, of course, and I felt very offended. How dare they say that what I did and everything. In a fit of pique, I decided to rewrite the story, and I revealed what was the ending of the story, the big twist ending at the end of the first page. And so you sit there looking at it and said, okay, now what? Well, it turns out that uh, I realized that I could continue with a story as written originally with only minor things here and there, and it didn't change the story. And by revealing what was going to be the big surprise at the end of the story, that early in the story, it gave it a little more meaning. So I did it, and I finally managed to send it off, and it was accepted for the uh, first edition of the uh, 
Black Science Fiction Society Genesis series. So if you can take a criticism creatively and you can put yourself, you know, take yourself out of the equation, you know, sometimes it works out. Or you can decide, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. I was right all along. But sometimes they are right. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Uh, my go-to order at my favorite hometown restaurant is the smothered pork chop with candied yams and potato salad. And yes, I do realize there was no green vegetable anywhere in that order, but I will double down on that sometime in the foreseeable future, like before the year is out or something like that. I'll, I'll have two salads, you know, make up for it. <laughs> where do you, Now, where do you get this at? There's a place called uh, Miller's. It's a family-owned business, and the whole family works in it and everything. It's all drive-up. They, they were uh, curbside service only long before the pandemic. They have very inexpensive dinners and everything. They're quick service, and it's pretty good food and everything. So that's what I usually do, and I said, okay, yeah, I think I need to uh, get in touch with my uh, heritage or something like that. That's where I go to, and that's usually what I get. Question number four. What are you curious about? Almost a trick question. I am curious about just about everything. Uh, there are some things that I'm not too curious about, like, you know, the Kardashians, not curious about that at all. I do like the big, of course, imponderable questions like um, what happened before the Big Bang? What happens after we die? Other than your relatives coming through your house with shopping carts saying, oh, he wanted me to have that. He had me carry this out of my car, that kind of thing. That's one of the things that I like about the writing process is the research because you're always learning something that uh, you didn't know before. Even if you can't incorporate it into your project, it is something that kind of you say, well, I didn't know that before, and you can uh, – an odd time that that question comes up on Jeopardy, you can really impress people. In addition to the big things, I'm curious about little odd things like uh, why do dogs stick their heads out of car windows? Now, I know that the general thing they say is that scent is to dogs what seeing is to people, and that's why they do it. But cars have not been around long enough for that to be an evolutionary trait. And if every dog does that, except if they have to train them not to do that, like police dogs are trained not to do that, service animals are not trained to do that. I mean, if, if your service animal sticks his head out the window and it should be servicing you, that would be a bad thing. And the craziest thing is people that have dogs that are too small to stick their own heads out the window, they will hold them up out the window, which if I was a dog, I feel a little, I don't know how I exactly feel about that, but. I always, nobody's explained that yet, and I always wonder, well, why do they do that? That would not change my life significantly knowing that, except I won't wonder about it anymore, but, you know. That is a very interesting answer, <laughs> and I've never really given it much thought, but, yeah, every but, dog does that. That's, that's, it. Yeah, that's but wild. If, if, but if you ever figure it out, please let me know, because I want to know why, you know. If there are dog people out there that are listening to this, please... <laughs> 
Email me at demandas at all one word at <laughs> gmail.com and give us the answer to this question. Don't make me Google it because that's less fun. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? Okay, a couple of things. Is there something that you wish you had written and you didn't or something that was so good that you'd be tempted to steal it, but because, you know, that's so unethical, you wouldn't do it? Let's see. Another one is, is there any pratfall to your writing? Everybody thinks that writing is, you know, this noble undertaking, which it is, but sometimes, you know, it conflicts with uh, everybody else's reality. And I think everybody who writes can identify with that one. Well, one of the scenes next to the Here's Johnny scene from The Shining, the scene where um, Jack Nicholson is sitting all in this big room and he's writing and then Shelley Duvall comes in with some minor, you know, married people, small talk and everything. And he tells her, if you hear this and he kiss the typewriter or you don't hear this or whatever it is, I'm working. That's kind of the downside is is that people don't consider you sitting there staring at your uh, computer screen as actually doing anything, and that can create some conflict, especially with relationships. And the other thing is that you're always writing in the back of your head, and therefore if you see something somebody else has written, you will make the offhand comment about how this doesn't make sense or this doesn't make better or something like that. And people will look at you and just say, well, it's just TV. It's just a movie. No, it's never just TV or a movie. And so you can be the one person that will ruin it for everybody else when you point out the uh, contradictions of things that don't make sense. That's the thing about you asking, but what's the downside of writing and stuff? But other than that, you know, it's great. And then what do they know? Question number six. If you could create a holiday, what would it commemorate? That's the stumper, but then uh, with my usual sense of overkill, I came up with three, although two were kind of like offshoots or anything like that. But the main one would be Singularity Day. That would be the big one. Singularity Day is the futurist and um, general smart guy Robert Ray Kurzweil came up with the idea of the technological singularity. And the technological singularity occurs as artificial intelligence surpasses human beings as the smartest and most capable life forms on Earth. Technological development is taken over by machines who can think, act, and communicate so quickly that normal humans cannot even comprehend what is going on. The machines enter into a runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles with each new generation of AIs appearing faster and faster. From this point onwards, technological advancement is explosive under the control of the machines and thus cannot accurately be predicted. The singularity is an extremely disruptive world-altering event that forever changes the course of human history. The extermination of humans by violent machines is unlikely, although not impossible, because sharp distinctions between man and machine will no longer exist thanks to the existence of cybernetically enhanced humans and uploaded humans. 
Well, which means that uh, I was writing a story once, and I had to come up with a way to give a date in the future, but I didn't want to say this is like 27, 18 or whatever, something like that. And I realized that although for purposes of commerce and research, we all agree that this is 2020, but culturally, just about every culture has a different way of naming of uh, numbering the years and it's usually based on some religious event like even 2020 is based on a religious event and if you're not part of that religion that year doesn't really have any any meaning for you so i said okay it has to be an event that happens that will affect the whole planet and i think the day, day that we decide that we have a self-aware machine that are capable of learning uh, on their own will be an event that will affect everybody. And we can say, okay, existence as we know it starts from this day, and then we'll count from that day forward. And now, although all of the computer experts have not figured out exactly when that's going to happen, some people have said it would be as early as 2032. But the generally accepted date, and that's the one that Kurzweil himself came up with, is sometime in the year 2045. So somebody between now and then, we're going to have, you know, HAL 9000. You know, Siri will turn into HAL 9000. So just be prepared. Uh, now, the other two dates that I came up with was the, you uh, know, I realized after that, there's also something that will affect everybody on the planet when it comes up with. And I think they really should make that a holiday or right there on the spot will be COVID-19 Cure Day. Whenever they come up with a cure that does not kill us and does not involve sticking an ultraviolet light up your butt or something like that, that's going to be a day to uh, celebrate. This is the part where can you tell me and our listeners where to find you on the interweb and how we can uh, get in contact with you. Okay, if you want to get in contact with me, my website is all one word. Well, first two words is shadyproduction.online. And that is uh, my website. And you can see what I'm working on and see a few biographical details. And you can see all the parts that I haven't gotten around to finishing yet. And also it has contact information at the very end on the contact. You can contact me and I uh, promise to get in touch with you in a uh, fairly rapid manner. Now, of course, my definition of rapid, you know, sometimes varies from right then or to by the end of the year, but I will get in touch with you. Fair enough. Uh, thank you very much for your time. This was a blast. Thank you so much. Well, this, this was a lot of fun. It was good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us. And whether it's your first time or your next time, you are appreciated. And thank you again. Now, please remember to rate and review Demond Does on your favorite podcast app. It only takes a couple minutes and it helps the show grow so more can join the conversation. Next week, we talk writers group egos, sheroes of American history, and an incredible multi-year sewing project with author Bernie Brown. So until next time, see you. Hear it, speak it, 